Hello, and welcome to, I believe, this first ever bonus episode of the Say That Podcast. My name is Matt King, and as I mentioned on our most recent episode, I am giving you folks a little bonus episode. This is the entirety of my chat with Vicar Derek Kabilis of the Crossover Q podcast. Uh, we get a little bit more into theorizing about what made certain faith communities so ripe for QAnon and other conspiracy theories. We get into uh, Vicar Kabilis's experience as a church leader talking about these things from the pulpits and the uh, way people have responded to that. Uh, just a little bit more fleshed out than the interview you heard in the regular episode. Remember, you can reach out to us at saythatpodcast at gmail.com. Check us out facebook.com slash thebridgechicago or missionusa.com slash bridgebox. That's a lot of things to throw in there right at once, but so it goes. I hope you enjoy this bonus, a little different episode. If you do, if you like this kind of long-form interview stuff, like the subject matter, uh, reach out, let us know. Uh, we're always looking for new fun stuff to do on the show, and uh, we want to give you things that you're interested in, that you enjoy listening to, that you get a lot out of. So we hope this follows that. And we're taking out of my full interview with Vicar Derek Kabilis of Crossover Q. So we've covered some of the, the QAnon stuff, but we're not experts and also not we're more missionaries than pastors, really. We're doing outreach stuff we're mm -hmm. at the, the jailhouse at recovery centers. So I think what we've had a lot of our listeners and friends and church folk deal with is this either they didn't see it coming and don't know what it is, or they don't know how to interface with the whole QAnon thing and that it comes in on a lot of the same frequencies as um, just maybe the anti-abortion stuff they've heard their whole life. It's very mm -hmm. right-wing politics and church. So, but as you, as I think as well, and you've done a great job laying out, this is, this is something different and it is a unique thing in its insidiousness and in its just, impact it's had but i don't think a lot of folks have a great idea for what's the middle ground between just writing people off totally and mm. acquiescing like yeah our church is going to split over QAnon, or yeah i think mm. it kind of <clears throat> and you can tell me if you disagree or have a different take on it but it seems something that if you were into it it's really, really built up over time and especially through the pandemic times kind of latched on. But if you were very tangentially following political stuff and those kind of things, maybe around the election or January 6th, that seemed to come out of nowhere to you and be this fully formed thing that was yeah. such a force. Yeah. I think for a lot of people, it was kind of a sideshow thing. Yeah. Um, like uh, most conspiracies are. Um, but what it did is it somehow like, um, came from a bunch of different, it, it tied a bunch of different strands of things together. Mm. And then, um, once it kind of found its way into the bloodstream of the evangelical world, it was like a full blown 
infection mm. in some places. I mean, uh, I hear from pastors who have lost their churches because really? of it and they can't bring them back and they've had to leave. Um, the, the biggest worry is an interpersonal relationship one. Mm. Um, the, the vast majority of the emails I get are from people who have a loved one or a friend or somebody like that that has become obsessed with it and um to the point where it becomes very difficult for that person to talk about anything else yeah and it destroys marriages um relationships of all kinds so that's um that's where my heart is in all of this trying to raise an awareness and, and, and talk a little bit about, you know, what might be a way forward. Now I'm not an expert in this stuff. I mean, there are people out there, counselors, psychologists, psychiatrists with folks who um, need something approaching exit counseling from a mm -hmm. cult. I mean, that's the most, um, similar analog, but it's it's one that exists mostly online. And they can help folks on an individual basis much better than I can. All I can do is give like some some general guidelines about how to approach those conversations and those relationships um, and when to set boundaries and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah. 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 I think that's exactly what we're looking for. And I'd love to also, but I think you're absolutely right. If in order for the discussion to not be um, either fall into kind of navel gazing or just pure doom saying you have to land on some version of there is a way out. And I know we're starting to see mm -hmm. stories about people who have let go of it post election, mm -hmm. post January 6th. But I'd also love, and I think you've done a great job in your podcast, getting into a little bit of the how did we get here and what are the yeah. the thought processes that this is coming in on intentionally or unintentionally, the the politicization, the kind of culture war yeah. stuff, those feelings of embattlements. Because I think a big thing for folks going forward, both in leadership and just people who want to pick a church or help someone out is... I think we've seen, I don't know if you have, a, we've seen some people be a little freaked out, both in the interpersonal, as you're saying, you know, this was my my dad or my friend, and this seems like a totally different person now, or this group of people who are always really nice and loving or almost bloodthirsty about this one mm -hmm. thing. And I think there, obviously, there's no hard and fast answer or not, and that won't be written until, you know, sociologists and historians look at it a century mm -hmm. away, but I think there is some, a sense of how did we get here so we can notice patterns coming in the future for ourselves yeah. or others. Absolutely. Absolutely. Whenever you tie Christianity to some other ideology, you open the door for this kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, so when you adulterate 
your Christianity, um, you uh, you make a way for it to be infected with something else, and that is certainly what has happened here. So yeah, I loved your episode taking um, it all the way back to uh, to Constantine. That was yeah. Yes, it is. It is a bit undeniable that for all the things of this, be it literal power with a, you know, the the candidates who are doing it now, or just the the fantasy of power that political power is kind of the idea of political power is kind of inextricable from the whole thing. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's where, um, that's where like people ask me a lot about why I use the H word. Right. Like mm-hmm. why I call it a heresy. And the real heresy has to do with the power mm-hmm. um, that Christians try to mingle mm-hmm. with their faith. That um, uh, it's it's the, the kind of power that uh, Jesus specifically did not take up. Yeah. Um, the kind of power that he made a big show out of rejecting. As showing the way forward, the kind of power that really even the book of Revelation works very hard to say is inherently evil. Um, So, uh, yeah, when you try to mix Christianity with that, you necessarily pollute it and make something like this possible. And we've been polluting it for a long, long time. Yeah, pollution to the point of trying to create something new as I think you've been talking about. I, I forget yeah. who I read, but someone described and someone not in the faith, but just a political writer described QAnon as if you tried to take Christianity and replace all the Jesusy parts with Trumpy parts mm-hmm. and you take mm-hmm. out all the, the grace and the loving your enemies and put it towards your enemies have to be punished and people who don't like you are morally failing. And it's a very interesting kind of watching people, almost create a Christian nationalist framework in as they go. Oh, absolutely. I think um, what you wind up there is uh, with is um, uh, the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, plus Paul, plus Revelation, mm. and that's it yeah. <laughs> for a lot of these folks. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and without um, any of the kinder, gentler parts of the Pauline stuff, let's pick a few yeah. verses out of that and really hammer on those. Yeah. Um, so, in in what I think we're seeing is something that's been starting for a very long time, which is like a new. Um, uh, I hesitate to call it a new form of Christianity, but a new religion mm-hmm. um, that is at the same time very old, where Christianity is mixed um, completely and totally with a form of civil religion that is inherently violent. And um, the that's the thing that I wish gave people more pause. The QAnon stuff is just so incredibly violent. Yeah. You know, um, that from the beginning, it was about executing people. Um, from the beginning, it was about talking about a civil war. Um, and it, it has, it undeniably has strains of fascism that run through. Um, 
at the same time, I, I also say that I don't uh, I don't blame Trump for QAnon. Sure. Um, I think uh, I think he could have done a lot to stop it or at least um, halt its growth in a lot of ways. Um, but I think we've been heading down this path for a really long time. And he was just an easy figure um, for the folks who had already had this kind of thing in mind to kind of rally around and declare um, a, a certain kind of messiahship, mm. um, like a minor messiah, right? Like sure. Com- this is the guy that's going to lead us from this. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Yeah. Like God has used flawed people like, and then yeah, Hezekiah. Yep. Yep. I think that's a very apt description to the way they, they think of him. So, yeah. And one of the interesting, fascinating things about Trump to me, the whole experience was someone who is clearly not of evangelical culture. I don't want to get into whether or not he's asked Jesus, yeah. in his heart, but he's not of that culture kind of looking at it and in a very kind of brass tacks way, doing what he assumes that evangelicals would want like in the mm-hmm. campaign talking about, well, of course we'll jail yeah. who had abortions yeah. and someone having to explain to him that, Oh, that's not it. But I think you get a really interesting view into what people who aren't of that world just think and assume of it. So it has that mm-hmm. violence oh, and nastiness yeah. and retributive part of, of course you want to tell people what they can't do. And of course you hate this group or that group. Cause that's, someone reflecting a culture back to themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, in a lot of ways, it, it pulls the veil away from um, the way we thought about a lot of people, including church people, to think that they would be capable of following this kind of thing and supporting this kind of thing and getting behind it. Um, and church leaders. You know, there are churches that promote QAnon, QAnon adjacent types of things. Um, the rise of the the Patriot churches, yeah. you know, um, who are unabashedly mixing their Christianity with their patriotism, who speak, and, and this isn't, the liberals do this too, by the way, who speak as if the Constitution were divinely inspired. Yeah. Um, that is, uh, I have a big problem with that. So as, as well, I think you should, I, I enjoyed your discussion with, I believe it was Dr. Bevere about, uh, you know, people, you have to go pretty far out of your way to cast Thomas Jefferson as a crusading oh, uh, Christian yeah. founder. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And these guys write books who, who the, the former speaker of the house, um, oh, John Boehner. Uh, no, 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 no. In the 1990s. Oh, uh, Gingrich? Yeah, Newt Gingrich wrote a whole book about Thomas Jefferson and how Christian he was and all of this stuff. And it's just completely yes. The whole thing is just absolutely ridiculous. All because he put the word God into the Declaration of Independence. Yeah. Um, it's nonsense. So I'm glad you, you joined us, and I'm excited to get into a lot of this QAnon stuff, we obviously don't have time to cover it all, but that's why there's, uh, I believe, six or seven episodes of Crossover Q up mm-hmm. and ready for people to dig into who want some more of it. But what was 
what was your introduction to the idea of QAnon and what was the point where you decided you needed to start making this a thing you were speaking about regularly? Well, I think I was first exposed to it early. I remember watching a new news broadcast and seeing some Trump rally at some point where people were holding up signs that had Q on them. Mm. And I went into the Google machine and tried to figure out what that was. And I immediately recognized it as like a uh, a new spin on a real old timey kind of conspiracy theory um, about a secret cabal of people who were trying to take over the world. And oh, at the same time, they worship the devil. And oh, at the same time, they eat children, right? right. Um, and uh, I just thought, oh, you know, perfect. Um, but I didn't really pay it much mind. But then it just never went away. And you kept hearing more and more about it. And then um, when I saw the Capitol insurrection, I I came home from work and I, I was watching it with my wife. And we were just so appalled and dispirited, especially when we saw crosses and confederate flags and q flags marching into the capital together right yeah. um and then of course all that extra footage came out from people's cameras showing us just how violent it all was and people were screaming and of course that that one woman died a few police officers passed away um and uh, I knew I had to do something and I didn't know what it was going to be. I knew I had something to say about it. I needed to address it. And I had started a podcast, uh, for my church to help get us through the pandemic. Mm. And I thought, you know what? I can do this. Um, I sort of have a grasp of some of this technology and I can make it happen. So, um, I outlined uh, 10 episodes, and that'll be just about all there will be to it. But um, I had 10 episodes worth of things that I wanted to say, plus a few interviews I wanted to do. And um, yeah, that's basically it. That's incredible. And your church is in Northeast Ohio, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. We are... um, in just uh about 20 miles south of cleveland okay if that makes any sense yeah. um yeah so but you that does mean you're in one of the the few uh swing states left and probably uh have some real variety in the politics of the people who are who are in your church what has your experience been putting this front and center and this being a thing that you're talking about, what effect has that had on on the people? Well, I would say that uh, for the most part, um, Ohio's understood to be a former swing state. Ah, yes. Um, most people put us pretty squarely in the red category now. Thinking but, back fondly to 2012. Um, yeah, the uh, the um, Northeast Ohio in particular is is pretty well split between mm. Democrat and Republican. And um, the parish where I serve is pretty well split as well. 
And I actually think that that's a strength mm. of who we are, um, that, that we get along really well and we form relationships across party lines. Like, I think that is a fantastic witness for the rest of this community during the most politically divisive time in our lives. And um, the vast majority of folks recognize that um, QAnon is not party politics as usual. You know, they, they understand, even if they're conservative, that there is something particularly heinous that is circulating out in the world right now that I'm trying to confront. Um, I'm certain we have lost a few people from our congregation and um, I mourn them leaving. Uh, I hope they'll find their way back to us, but um, I, I feel that God has put this on my heart and um, enough people have, who are around me, including um, uh, those in the hierarchy above me, since I'm a Methodist, I serve, you know, just one rung in a ladder, and they have all confirmed to me that this is good work and that I need to keep it up. Absolutely. And one of the things from listening to podcasts and reading some of your writing, it's, it's clear that your take on this is, it is undeniable that QAnon is a political phenomenon. It is, you know, they stormed the Capitol. It is political, but there, there is something spiritual going on. It is, it is particularly uh, popular in the evangelical community. It has some aspects to that. And you've used a word heresy to describe it. I think it's been mm -hmm. very descriptive and maybe a bit provocative. So for people who aren't used to thinking in those theological terms, what do you mean when you say QAnon is a heresy? Yeah, a heresy isn't just a bad teaching. It isn't just like a, a false teaching. It's a teaching that is um, specifically deleterious to human flourishing. It, mm. It's a teaching that harms the soul. And when I call QAnon a heresy, that is based on my experience of the effect that QAnon has had in the lives of Christians. Um, I have spoken to so many people these last few months who have um, had strained relationships, broken relationships, uh, divorces, parents, arguing with children, um, grandchildren at each other's throats because one of them wants to take grandma to go get vaccinated and the other one thinks that it's gonna be a microchip. Um, those kinds of things. Uh, and it's obvious that the common thread between all of them is the fact that one of them um, is part of this obsession that people have. And it's, it's obvious to me that it's not just a belief, right? It's not mm. just an opinion, the way we talk about those kinds of things. The people, like I've never met someone who's, who's kind of into QAnon, if that makes sure. sense. Um, you're either in it or you're not. And if you're in it, um, you're thinking about it all the time. You're researching it all the time. You're sharing stuff all the time. 
you're talking about it with your friends and loved ones because um what what people need to realize is the the QAnon story the idea that there is a secret cabal of um uh global elites who are worshiping Satan, eating children who want to take over the world. That story has been designed over centuries. Mm. Okay. And it has been designed particularly uh, to make people obsessed with it, to, to get people angry, to get them scared, to get them paranoid so that they will be more politically uh pliable shall we say um these are the kinds of things that the romans under nero said about christians Mm. um there was something called the fiestian banquet which it was rumored that christians um during our communion services would commit acts of incest because we were constantly talking about the love between the father and the son and that we would eat children because we spoke of eating the flesh of the son and drinking his blood. Right. And in that case, the story was used to drum up um, uh, desire to persecute the Christians among the population in the medieval world. Christians used stories of Jews um, uh, killing young people and drinking their blood, particularly young Christians, as a pretext for persecution, right? In the years before World War II, there was a faked document called the Elders of the Protocol or the Protocols of the Elders of Zion that was all about how the Jews were secretly trying to trans to take over the world. And that was one of the things that was used by the Germans in the run-up to the Holocaust. Um, this thing, this story, this lie is very old and it has been engineered over time uh, to help manipulate people to turn them into um, violent, paranoid, angry people who are ready to fight and even to kill. Um, And that's, uh, I don't know what you would call that except a heresy. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to think, maybe for people who aren't, who are fairly new to these ideas, at least in their current form, how much overlap there is. I mean, you're, you're describing the, the kind of the medieval idea of blood libel and the Jews drink. Exactly. That's, that's you're, you put a 21st century kind of um, scientific spin on that. And you get the idea that QAnon has about adrenochrome that mm-hmm. Democrats are drinking the blood of children specifically to get some scientific benefit out of it. But it's just mm-hmm. kind of the sci-fi version of that. Yeah. And also you mentioned, I really like the idea, bring up the protocols of the elders of Zion, because that's one of those things that maybe we don't think about how popular that idea was and remains in a lot of ways. I mean, Henry Ford was a big fan of that particular. Absolutely. Publishing. He, he, he had it uh, translated into English and spread across the United States. 
yeah, I believe he bought a a the local newspaper in Dearborn, Michigan, so he could mm-hmm. have a, a way to print that. So as part of how we got here, what are what are we thinking and learning about some of the existing cracks in churches in the American Christian culture that have been exposed by this because people didn't just wake up one day in 2017, log on to Facebook or 4chan or whatever, and totally lose their minds. There were some, mm-hmm. some pre-existing things happening that QAnon, I don't know if it's right to say accelerated or synthesized, but there's been some stuff here before, right? Yeah, absolutely. There, there are things that already existed in Christianity in the American version of Christianity. The QAnon really is exploited, I think. Um, <clears throat> in uh, first on the list is what some people have, have come to call Christian nationalism, right? Um, Christian nationalism, the idea that the United States is somehow God's chosen nation, right? That um, the framers of the Constitution were divinely inspired, that America is... Um, the uh, contemporary version of the promised land, those kinds of ideas um, were the vein by which QAnon was injected into Christianity Mm -hmm. because it allowed people to start talking about this being like uh, a battle between good and evil, right? Um, And it, it makes us feel like the church needs to have a certain degree of power in over society. And um, the idea that, that Christians are uh, somehow being persecuted in the United States, that's an idea that um, I just don't resonate with at all. I've read too many testimonies of um, martyrs in ancient Rome and um, the Anabaptist martyrs in um, Europe uh, to recognize anything that's happening to Christians today as being any kind of persecution. Um, But when you have that self-identity, when you think Mm -hmm. you are being persecuted, um, when you think that there are people who um, want to exterminate you, want to exterminate your beliefs, you're going to listen really well to anyone who tells you that um, they can help deliver you from that force. I think that's a very interesting point and one that's well taken, particularly because when you read the scriptures as they are, you will find that blessed are you when you are persecuted and when people mm-hmm. say bad things about you. And that's another thing that American Christian culture, at least as long as I've been alive, has really ramped up to the point where it is good. It was, I guess it was a, a pre-internet version of owning the libs. If you, if people you disagree yeah. were mad at you, that's how you knew you were Christianing really, really well. <laughs> I think that's a really interesting point that all the things these people are getting out of QAnon, be it a, the idea of a righteous cause or a something to belong to. None of those things are inherently evil. 
And even the ones that no. are evil, like a desire to punish your enemies or have power, that's an evil that lives mm-hmm. within all of us. So mm-hmm. how does how do things like that play into how we as individuals or someone as a church leader or a church body is going to deal with people who fell into this going forward? Oh man, that's an excellent question. Yeah. Because our, our first reaction when someone we know, someone we love, a family member, a church member, um, even a spouse, an old friend starts uh, spouting this stuff. Um, invariably, the first reaction is one of anger, mm. right? It's frustration that um, someone would believe something that is so patently ridiculous. And that, um, uh, and by the way, I just heard a podcast where this guy called it a heresy, so on and so forth. So now I'm all pumped up and I'm angry. And I want to confront this person and I want to put a stop to this. Well, you just fell into the trap Mm. because all that does is um, drive it deeper into their soul, you know? Um, So the first thing that you got to realize is that um, people who believe in QAnon are its first victims. Right. Um, They, for the most part, from what I've seen, do not live particularly happy lives. Um, They're paranoid that uh, something terrible is going to happen most of the time. They believe that, um, you know, potentially a civil war might be coming, that they are being ruled over by evil monstrous people um and that is a really terrible way to live um and so we need to have compassion for them to begin with um it's not enough i i really don't think it's enough to just say okay we can't talk about politics anymore let's just go on about our lives Mm -hmm. and just kind of leave that conversation in the dark um, because they won't be able to do that. I mean, think about it. Would you, if you really thought that this was what was happening in the world, it would be immoral and terribly irresponsible for you not to talk about it or you not to share. it. And that's why um, uh, that doesn't usually work. Um, Instead, what I tell people to do is, yes, you know, put up boundaries, um, but try to engage in a way that allows you to kind of keep your fidelity, but then also um, gets them to, to think more clearly about what it is that they're saying. Um, I like to ask questions like, uh, why do you believe that? Or um, it must be pretty tough to walk around all day thinking that these things are happening. Are you okay? Um, How did you get involved in this? And let them tell you their story. Um, Being able to listen with patience um, 
is some of the best medicine we can have for some of these folks. Um, because think about all the things that they want. They want community. Um, they want to feel like they're a part of something important. They, we, QAnon makes you feel like a hero. You know, a lot of the reasons why people get involved into QAnon is because um, it offers them uh, a kind of meaning that they may not have in their everyday life. And so when you ask them about it and you you allow them to share their story, um, all of a sudden you've established a connection. And that connection might be the kind of life preserver that they can hang on to. Um, And then when they ask you to start start sharing your story, to start saying why you don't believe in it, well, then all of a sudden we're starting to heal. Um, But it doesn't go that way for everyone. Mm. Um, For some people, it's, it's much too deep. And there will be... Um, relationships that are broken by QAnon. Um, not everything is necessarily fixable in that sense. Um, uh, I know people that have gotten divorced. I know pastors that have left their church. Um, uh, sometimes it's just gone too far and it's important to recognize that yes, someone needs to be sort of quote unquote saved, but I'm not the person that can do it. And that's okay. You know, what's important is that you have a community of support and fellowship and friendship uh, that you draw your strength from. I think that's such a great point that reminds me of a parallel in the work we do in Chicago, which is working a lot with uh, drug addicts. And I'm, I'm very hesitant to compare anything that is not chemical dependency to chemical dependency. I'm not saying anyone yeah. is, is addicted to QAnon, but there are some compulsive behaviors that I think carry over. One of the wisest things a friend ever said to me who was a, re- a recovering a crack addict was, there's no such thing as rock bottom. There's just when you're tired of it. Mm. And I, wonder, I think I, I imagine you see as well, and we see a lot of frustration from people saying, you know, your grandkids blocked you on Facebook and people don't want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And how could that not propel you to let go of this? But, but I think you're describing very well that these are, we have to see these as full human beings who have human needs and methods. And QAnon is something that's yeah. born of dehumanization. It's born of, you know, fantasizing about the, the execution of Hillary Clinton to be, quite fair yeah. and you have to <laughs> say she did all and these lots things. of other people yeah absolutely who have been you know had been vilified for 30 plus years and certain types of media beforehand and we don't i think you make a very good point that we don't fight dehumanization by doing it to the people who we disagree with mm-hmm. and i'd love to absolutely and i'd love to close out and thank you so much for your time with Anything specifically you would steer pastors towards or anyone who's in a, a le- pastors, elders, anyone who's in a leadership position at a church that has has been touched by this QAnon stuff or they fear might be? What would, If you could put one thought in that person's brain going forward, what might it be? Um, it, would, it would certainly be uh, compassion. Um, 
and humility. Mm-hmm. Um, the plain fact of the matter is we are all susceptible to this kind of thing. And in a lot of churches, pastors gain their authority by projecting a certain um, certainty. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But this is a place, this is a problem that none of us have ever dealt with before. We can draw certain analogies to other, you know, things that we have had to navigate, um, uh, you know, different personality things that we've had to deal with, different things going on in our churches. None of us have dealt with this kind of perfect storm, this confluence of things that is attacking people and attacking our communities. I believe very quickly it has become one of the greatest threats to Christianity in America, at least today. Um, And so I would ask them to be humble, Mm -hmm. um, uh, to choose their words carefully and to research. I've tried to do my research. I've done enough to know that I'm not an expert. I have a few things to say, but I'm not, you know, any kind of an end-all, be-all source. Um, um, uh, The main thing is is that we stay humble and that we continue to have compassion. Um, If there are, by the way, any denominational leaders or... um, uh, folks like that who are part of larger organizations of churches, um, I think we need to start thinking about means of accountability for clergy mm. because there are clergy who are spreading this and we need to figure out on an organization how we're going to confront that issue. It's, it's a beautiful answer. I dare say a meeting Hate and judgment with humility and compassion sounds sounds downright Christ-like, and I think that may be a great way to look at things going forward. Vicar Derek Kabilis, the podcast is Crossover Q. I strongly urge all our listeners to check it out. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It has been an honor. <laughs>